Parallel Quest is a podcast of Steel Lake Studio. Please be sure to head over to steellakestudio.com to find out a little bit more about us. And while you're over there, be sure to check over our books tab and check out Zach's new release, Nightmare at the Fair. In this episode of Parallel Quest, we are going to be talking about 10 of our favorite comedies. Zach and I will each do 10 of our favorite comedies, so you are getting an episode that talks about 20 great comedies. We hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Welcome to Parallel Quest. This is a podcast where two friends talk about the stories we love and share our personal stories of the impact they've had on our lives. I'm one of your hosts, Cody Haggard, and alongside, or maybe more accurately said, across the internet from me, my great friend, author, and co-host, Zach Butler. Zach, how you doing today, man? (laughs) I'm feeling old, man. Feeling a little old today. (laughs) Feeling old? All right, all right. Why is that? Because you're officially an author now, so now you feel like an <laughs> yeah. old man? No, I think it's more the fact that 30, the year, age 30 has come for me, man. And Ah, new decade. New decade, breaking into it, man. And, you know, today I just got up and you know, had some aches and pains in areas. I was like, oh, man, like, comes on quick when you hit yeah. 30 here. Those 30-year-old aches and pains. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. You're 30 now. I'm a couple months away. And I remember thinking when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, thinking to myself, by the time I'm 30, you know, I'm going to have a fantastic job. I'm going to live in like a half a million dollar house. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be on the the straight track to executive Mm -hmm. uh, management or whatever. Whatever I was going to be doing, I was going to be like the head honcho. And now that I am on the eve of 30 and I am very much still an average man, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if there's any high schoolers out there who have the same dreams that will only be uh, most likely let down because the, <laughs> the age of success is only going to get older as people mm. live longer and keep their success longer. But anyway. That's another discussion for another time. My question is, did you ever have thoughts like that when you were a teenager? Like, by the time you're 30, you will have, like, fully arrived in life? I I was telling Leah about this, that when I was in my teens, I was probably 14. I was just starting high school, and I think we had an assignment or something that was, like, 15 years from now, write some things that you want to accomplish. And I remember thinking, 15 years, I'm 30. I was like, that is forever from now like that is so far in the future that i can't even i can't even picture what the like the world will look like and now here at 30 like it's very different but i mean we're talking about doing a lot of the same things i was doing 15 years ago like in terms of culture and like movies and whatnot but i think for me the uh i think i wanted more than anything and it, it just happened like I was like, I need to publish. I need to be published. I need to have a book or a short story or something to my name by the time I'm 30. Because at that time, when I was thinking about 30, which wasn't too often, to be honest. But when I was thinking about that, I was like, Stephen King, who is my hero writer, 
he had published his first short story when he was 18. And I remember being like, okay, I need, I got four years to do it. Cause this is when I was like 14. I was like, I got four years to mm-hmm. do that. Well then 18 came and went and I was like, all right, I got to do it by 21. And then 21 came and went and I was like, all right, 25. That's, that's a good year. <laughs> and that came and went. And I was like, all right, now I'm 30. I'm getting a little more serious. I got a little more time, a little more money. That was mainly the thing to get published, especially as an indie author. You got to have a little more money. Um, but yeah, that was my big thing. And I was happy to, to say that I did that right before I turned 30. So there you go, man. Yep. You got, got there. Done. You got in right, right under the <laughs> yep. wire there. You got it in. The nick and of time, man. It, it is a, it's a fantastic read, this, oh, this book. You. And, you know, let's just get straight to it. Let's get our business talk out of the way here. Let's talk about it. We're talking about the book. We're talking about you turning 30. So slap that information down for our audience listening about you know, what exactly are we referring to, this mythical book of Zach Butler's. We are talking Nightmare at the Fair. It is the first book in the Terror Town series, first of many. Um, I will, I'll tease this. There are at least four more coming out. There certainly, the plan is to have more out, but there's four more uh, in the works at some level. But oh, the, oh. yeah, yeah. The first one though, Nightmare at the Fair, it is out now, came out on the 31st. So it is exclusively with Kindle right now. So for all of my, Kobo and Google Play or any of the other distributors. I'm really sorry, but for right now, we're going with just Kindle, but don't worry, it will soon be released to the masses um, after my little 90-day... I call it a probation, but I shouldn't say that. It's not really... It's It was my decision, but it's it, it comes with some strings going just with Kindle, but I'm happy with I, them. I got a quick question for you, Zach. Do I need to have a Kindle to read a book on Kindle? You do not need to have a Kindle. Um, I've actually gotten that question a lot. You do not have to have it. You just have to have the app, which you can download on your smartphone. So you can go to Google Play or iPhone, whatever you guys have. I have a uh, Android phone, so I don't know what iPhone has, but you go to iTunes or whatever. Download the Kindle app. And then you can just sign up through your Amazon account because everyone's got one of those now. And you can download the Nightmare at the Fair through the Kindle app. So you do not need to go out and buy a Kindle. I'm not forcing you to buy one at this point. And if for those of you who just love to use your desktop or laptop computer, there is also a Kindle app for the desktop and laptop as well for both PC and Mac. So you can read it on a larger screen if that's your thing. Absolutely. So get out there. Um, it's a middle grade novel, um, mainly for nine to 12 year olds, but it's fun for the whole family. And I've been, we've been getting a lot of traffic with it, man. We've, we're up to about 50, 50 book sales and it's only been out a few days, a couple days. So yeah, we we we're doing well. So get out there, get yourself a copy right now. It is free. We're doing a free book promotion, um, to kick off the first book in the steel Lake studio repertoire here. And so for the next few days, I think it ends on the 5th. So by the time you're listening to this, actually, it'll probably not be free. So sorry. But if you got it before the 5th, great job. You hit the uh, you hit the time frame that it was supposed to be free. Ah, so. I got a question for you, Zach. Say somebody, you know, they missed out on the free promotion. 
and say they listen to this podcast. They're a dedicated fan. They missed out on their opportunity. And if they went and filled out a contact form on our website, steellakestudio.com slash community, you know, is there a chance we might be able to hook them up with a PDF of the book? You know, maybe, maybe. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think about so, that? If you guys head on over to steellakestudio.com, go to that community page, or sign up for our newsletter, we will send you a PDF copy of Nightmare at the Fair. So yes, not only are you able to get it through Kindle, but if you go to our site, get on that newsletter, you guys will find out all the awesome things that we're doing at Steel Lake Studio. We're coming out with more podcast ideas with... Cody, I know you've got something in the works. I don't want to tease it just yet, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you got something coming for the people. You will also get two short stories a month from us, which I know we're a little behind in October, <laughs> but we will get you get content over there as well. We tease that. So get on that newsletter to find out all the awesome things that we're doing at Steel Lake Studio and get your free copy of Nightmare at the Fair when you sign up for our newsletter. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to us ramble on on business stuff for a while. We just kind of have to do that. We are deciding to sponsor ourselves this episode, so we got to sell a little bit. Um, (laughs) But we are going to get into our main content for today. But I want to start off by asking Zach a question. Because over the weekend, I found myself in a internet rabbit hole for a little bit. Where I was on a very popular video website that uh, most people probably know of. And I was just, you know, trying to find entertaining things to watch. And I found some content that is just roasting other people who make content. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this isn't very nice. This is kind of mean. This is bullying. In fact, this stuff is getting taken down from the internet all the time for bullying and harassment and all this. And then I think to myself, I'm like, wait a minute. When Joe Biden rambled off some type of nonsense the other day, <laughs> that was that was totally fair game for everybody. That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. When Donald Trump decided to suggest that people inject bleach in their arms, that's fair game for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, that's hilarious because... Maybe there's somebody out there who took that and did it, but I sure hope not. Uh, That was one of the most idiotic things I've ever heard a president say. Yeah, please don't do that. (laughs) Do not do that. But when our political and public figures make mistakes, make gaffes, say stupid things, you know what we should do? We should totally rip on them for it because, you know, these are the people who are our leaders and our leaders need to be kept in check by being made fun of (laughs) at a reasonable rate and a fair rate, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm thinking to myself, wait. If public figures are fair game, if celebrities are fair game, some celebrities, certain celebrities you can't touch, which is kind of weird. There's a weird double standard thing in Mm -hmm. Hollywood. And if they're fair game for being razzed, if they're fair game for being picked on, why not people who are posting videos on, you know, very popular internet video websites? Because listen, at the end of the day, you're making a conscious effort to put yourself out on the internet. And... With success and with recognition also comes the haters. And 
maybe not even haters as much as those who just want to make fun of people who post things online because, well, let's just be honest, there's a lot of really silly things online. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to ask you, Zach, what is your opinion? Should we be banning videos of people who are making fun of other people making videos online? Or if you're putting stuff online, you got to recognize, hey, you're fair game, man. What do you think? So I have a few thoughts here. But I have a question first. So are these people who are creating content that's making fun of other people, are they mm -hmm. doing it literally just to poke fun at them? Or are they also providing like a critique as well? You know how like you can... most Mostly both. Like mostly both. Okay. So they from, do from both what I was watching. simultaneously. Yeah. So they're making fun of you. Because I think that's kind of... That's that's important. I don't think that's something to overlook because, yeah. I mean, a lot of times when you're making fun of someone or some content or something, you're making fun of it to point out all the the bad things because you're kind of suggesting that those could have been improved upon. Like, perfect example, Star Wars, man. People love making fun of the first Star Wars, or actually all of them, mm. but especially the first Star Wars. There's some terrible moments in that movie. There's some bad moments, man. Real poor writing, poor acting. Like, there's some bad moments in Star Wars, and people will make fun of that. But they're not making fun of that just to be jerks. They're making fun of that because it's funny, but it's also, like, the, the cultural mind behind it, the community mind behind it understands, yeah, that could have probably been better. So my first thought is... Well, if they're making fun of content, which if first of all, it's got to be funny. Like I don't want to I don't want to watch something that's like, "Oh, you're just being mean." Like if it's funny, yeah, sure. Of course. Got to leave it up there, man. But I think that if you're being funny and you're kind of critiquing it, like th that's pretty good, man. That's that's worthy of of being up on certain channels or wherever you're watching this. But I'm just that's interesting you say that because I mean, censorship is kind of an issue for our our culture right now, especially on the internet. The whole like thing with the New York Post or whatever got censored off Twitter, and like we're 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 in this age of, and I don't want to take it this too seriously because I know we were talking about like people making fun of other people online, which is I'm a I'm a huge fan of. I love it. I love trolls, man. <laughs> love when people troll other people. And it's even better when people troll other people and they don't recognize that they're being trolled and they go down the rabbit hole and you sit back and you're like, oh yes, this is gonna be great. Like this person has no <laughs> idea, man. <laughs> but it's like you're being in on an inside joke. And it's like, oh geez, this person's just getting killed. Just grab the popcorn. Yeah, exactly. But my other point is like this whole like idea of censorship like why why are why do people feel the need to censor that are they saying because like you're bullying someone else like what is then we got to define what bullying is like mm -hmm. it's just poking fun at somebody bullying or is like there some malicious intent behind it like we're doxing people or we're really kind of going at them personally if you're making fun of content like Come on, you gotta know it's the internet. Yeah, like, even from the yeah. early days, like they people are ruthless on the internet. Oh, for sure, and and for the most part, stuff that's you know critical and kind of making fun or poking fun, even stuff that I would consider to be mean, 
at this point in time is safe. As long as it's not targeted her harassment yeah. or encouraging some type of violence against another person, I would never condone anything that even hints at violence towards another person just because it is, you never know the crazy person who's going to take it seriously. Right. Like, <laughs> right. You know, there's certain things where things that you and I could have posted in blogs or videos when we were in high school and we were kids, you just couldn't get away with saying a lot of those things now on the internet. You just couldn't like, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, for me, I, I just think, in general, it's kind of sad because I think we're just going to get to a point where eventually critical commentary, uh, comedy type of stuff, people are going to be so sensitive to that to the point of where it's basically, I think it's going to disappear. I really do in a freelancing fashion. Which is um, not good because behind no. that, like it's obviously not good, but behind the comedy is truth. And also behind the comedy is just, kind of how especially guys that's just kind of how we include people into like your social group it's just oh yeah for sure. kind of razzing somebody it's like yeah you're being kind of silly but we also like you enough that we're making fun of you like if we yeah. weren't making fun of the stuff that you were doing it would probably be bad for you because we just don't want to talk to you like we don't really even want to socialize with you yeah and, and you know the funny thing is too like <laughs> When we were when we were coming up, man, I think I think our most of our language, maybe not most, at least half, forty percent to half of the language spoken amongst guy friends is making fun of your other guy friends. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. you know at the end of the day, you all love each other. You're all pals. Like Yeah, man. But that's, you, that's the you, best you, part of getting together. It's just like, okay, you speak who are we gonna run? <laughs> yeah, you you speak through putting each other down a little bit. And I don't know, I just feel like this next generation of guys is a little soft when it comes to what they're sensitive about. And, and, and girls too, guys and girls. Everyone's yeah. just too sensitive. Too and, sensitive. And the world needs to be a lot more fun. And so anyway, it's just stuff where I just start, I was thinking to myself, and especially since one of our, since our main topic for today is our top 10 comedies, what makes comedy funny is the fact that it is critical of the status quo, right? Mm -hmm. It pokes fun at the status quo, or it gives you that shock value, seeing something that you wouldn't expect. You know, one, one of the <laughs> one of the most shock value things in all of comedy is uh, from Pineapple Express, where, <laughs> where they're trying to kick out the windshield and kick. <laughs> his foot through the windshield and then his leg is stuck and <laughs> it's one of the greatest scenes in, in all of comedy because you are you are geared to think a certain way yeah and it really takes talent and it really takes art for somebody to think outside the box of how can i get somebody to laugh because i know they're geared to think a certain way and that yeah. scene in pineapple express is just one of the greatest a classic dude because <laughs> it's one of those things where you just don't think about it. it's like oh yeah that that could plausibly happen yeah <laughs> no that's so true though and that's i mean that's why like first of all if you're gonna post something on the internet you are signing an agreement whether you know it or not I and mean, you should know it but you're signing an agreement of saying i'm putting this out to the masses and i'm gonna be willing to take whatever comes from that and so yeah. if you're somebody who's who knows that it's like I cannot take criticism at all, like it's probably not a good idea to put it out on the Internet, because mm -hmm. even if it is gold, even if you have just produced 
like Oscar level movies or just like the the best thing in its field like there's gonna be someone that's gonna just get on there and just be like like trash this is trash <laughs> like the director must be blind because he can't see like he, someone's gonna get on there and just rip you for no like for no reason other than just to be funny and that's good because we don't want you getting too big for your britches here we want you to be human like all of us and so someone's gonna get on there and just be a jerk and just kind of bring you back down a little bit but if you can't <laughs> handle that like you shouldn't you should probably shouldn't be putting anything on the internet Exactly. Exactly. I think a lot of people think, oh, there's money to be made in the internet. Uh, but it's not as easy as just posting one thing and then getting oversensitive and then trying to get <laughs> someone <laughs> no, else's stuff taken sensitive. down. It's it's kind of like, hey, man, you are entering into the octagon. And because uh, the moment go. you get sensitive, like that's blood in the water for the sharks, man. Like then it's like, all right. Yeah, we got one here, guys. Mm hmm. Yeah. And and even the most invalid of criticisms you need to take and be like, well, is there anything actually to learn from this? Mm -hmm. If not, you just move on. You say, okay, whatever. I'm not going to give it attention. And if so, you're just like, okay, how can I get better at whatever it is I'm doing? And, you know, that's... So, so have you ever posted a video or anything that you were like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. And then there's a comment that's just like one of the 99 comments that's bad. It's like, just brings you down. Have you ever had that experience? Not online. Um, I've had it with speaking publicly before where I've had tons of praise for something and people have said the nicest things and then one person just ripped me apart because no. they took one thing I said, they didn't like it, they called me a sexist because of my comment and, I, and I'm thinking no. to myself this whole time, like, what, you're taking this way out of context. Like, <laughs> yeah. and, and so... In that scenario, and that wasn't even comments, that wasn't even an email, that was someone coming to me directly to my face and ripping me to shreds with, like, other people around, you know? And and for me, I think that's one of the things that's also kind of made me resilient. Having a background in public speaking and having people actually come up to your face and tell you the things they didn't like or the things that were theologically incorrect or whatever, I think Mm -hmm. that's something that every person who's making internet content if you're not actually ever getting up in front of real people and talking and you're only used to talking into a microphone into a screen, then you're then you're missing out on one of the ways you can become a much better communicator. And that's mm. getting in front of actual people and communicating. And you know, that's just something you got to have to take and you just respectfully tell that person, especially in a face-to-face conversation like, "Oh wow, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that." Uh, in, in what I said. And if it's just somebody ripping you to shreds because they didn't like what you said in a subjective matter, you're like, ah, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it. You just move on, right? Right. And, right. you know, I think that's uh, that's why some of the most successful podcasters and successful creators on the internet have experience in stand-up comedy. I think that's why a lot of comedians are successful online because they're just like, pfft. I could deal with your comments. I'm used to being ripped to shreds in a comedy club, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's why you see so many successful comedians doing podcasting, online content, and all that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they can give and they can take. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a it's good advice right there. It's good advice, yeah. man. Yeah, kind of got off on a little tangent there. but So you want to talk about parties again, I see. Party, yeah, man. All 
All right, talk to me about it. All month long. No, just this is past couple of weeks since it's, it was my 30th birthday. We had a surprise party for me and another girl who was also turning 30. That's good friends of ours. And so we had this conjoined surprise party this weekend. And it was a lot of fun. My wife, Leah, did an awesome job, amazing job. She's a professional party planner. So if you ever have her planning your party, you know you're getting the best. So I have a question, though, for you, because I thought sure, about sure. this day of, because I, I have to confess that even though it was a surprise party, I knew some pieces of it. So I knew bits and pieces of the surprise. I knew we were having something happen, like a party or something happen. And I I had to know it for certain reasons just to get me to the party and to kind of coordinate some things. But coming into Saturday, which was when the party was, I was talking to Leah in the morning and she was like, you need to, I need you to pick up some things for the party tonight. And which was no problem, but it got me thinking, I was like, man, like we, we, I know she has been planning this all week and I know it's a lot of work. And I was wondering what kind of party planner are you meaning are you the kind of person that even day of you are still putting things to get like together for the party are you still kind of getting some streamers or getting food or drinks or whatever for the party or are you the kind of person who wants to walk into your own party as if like it was for you like you want to be like I'm done with everything. I'm literally just going and participating in my party. What kind of party planner are you? All right. So when it comes to me planning parties, there are I'm good at I'm good at planning out events, right? Like events, activities, all that type of stuff. I'm good at that. Like I'm good at thinking of if there are certain things I want to happen at the party. I know how I want them to happen, know how I want them to unfold. And, you know, some of you might remember, like I've had a couple parties. Don't know if you remember them, but I was always like, you know, kind of loose with my party planning. <laughs> we'll do like we'll do like a roast here. We'll have like a, a card game going on over here. We'll have a thing going on over here, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the thing where I'm really bad when it comes to planning party is I'm actually really bad at thinking about what other people will like at a party. So let me explain this for a second. When it comes to food options, I'm the kind of guy who's like, oh, yeah, we'll get a couple of dishes from the local, you know, uh, whole food warehouse place or wholesale warehouse place. And we'll put it out, you know, go to Costco, get some trays, some sandwiches, whatever, Mm -hmm. get a case of water, you know, Mm -hmm. and then we're done. Right. Yep. This is because I only drink water and my wife is like, you got to think of other beverage options. Not everybody's like you, you know, not everybody only drinks water. And I was like, well, everyone's going to only drink water today. And, <laughs> and so she knocks me all the time for for being kind of like a really self-centered party planner. <laughs> yeah. because, like you're planning because, it for yourself because I legitimately plan what what I would have the most fun at when it comes to to a party and and uh, essentially uh, not really thinking about what other guests are going to like. Now, granted, 
when when it's for you know my kids or something else that's totally different right but a little bit a little bit more administrative but when i'm directly involved in the party i'm like all right so here's a couple things that i really like (laughs) this is what i would like to see happen (laughs) and as i mingle around during this party these are things i want to (laughs) do and uh the food i'd like to eat so i'm fronting up all the cash for this i'm making sure this thing happens so this is what it's gonna be and in general i mean People like my parties, so so far, so so far, so good. Um, now okay. it's been a long time since I've had a party, but hold on yeah. one second. What are you doing, man? You gotta go back to bed, buddy. Stop coming in here, please. Been in here like a million times. Uh, <laughs> what was he listening to? I don't know. Something on YouTube, kids. <laughs> oh that's awesome that's awesome uh anyway yeah but but for the most part um i'm not a great party planner because i kind of think of you know the things i would like to do most at a party my wife's Mm -hmm. a lot better at it than me Uh, but for the most part like i just i try to do what i think would be a good time for as many people as possible i'm not really as self-centered as i let on to be Okay. I really do try and think of what's going to be the most fun for the most amount of people here. And at the end of the day, I'm always a pushover. I'm I'm like, I'll always do what everybody else wants to do over what I want to do, but I'll plan to have some things involved yeah. that I like involved. You know, <clears throat> I hear that, man. So I, I'm, I'm similar to you in a lot of ways with the parties, but my thing is like, I would rather throw a party at an event center or like a restaurant or something that like a lot of the things that I feel like stress out party planners is already taken care of. Like the food's taken care of the, the layout is taken care of the timing of things is taken care of. Like to me, it stresses me out thinking of like, okay, at 25 minutes into this party i gotta make an announcement and thank everybody and then an hour in we're gonna do this game and then an hour and a half in we're gonna serve this like i know that's what's going through my wife's head when she throws a party which is great because you kind of need that with somebody at the party or else it would just i feel like it'd just be chaos then like i mean it would be fun but just you'd leave and be like oh okay that that happened whereas with my wife it's like this is a series of events and then the party's over. But for me, I kind of want someone to take care of that for me. And I don't want to hire a party planner because, I mean, I'm married to one, so I don't really have to. But I'm saying if I wasn't married to one, I would, or if I was planning a party for Leah, which I don't, I don't want to say what I'm going to do for her 30th, but it might be taken care of for me at some point with a venue or bringing in some outside help. So I'm, I'm a party planner. To the point of, all right, what event or venue and people do I want to help take care of a lot of this for me? Because I don't have any idea what I want to do. So that's my approach to party planning. I will be throwing one. Actually, a lot of our friends are turning 30. So I'll be getting involved, I'm sure, in a lot of these parties coming up. Okay, okay. 
So yeah, you a little, little bit more laid back, but you like to have it kind of taken care of for you. I, I can get on on board with that. Hire the professionals. You know, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, good thing to do. What they're there for. Now, I don't know about you, but I have become I've become a little bit boring in my party going and partying as an adult because honestly, I'm totally cool just showing up at a party or having a party where I just sit down and talk to people. You know, get a little caffeine in me and just uh just rattle on for hours, you know, like we do on this podcast. That's that's basically how I live my life. Like I'm always podcasting. That's that's kind of the story of my life because i'm always talking but yeah hey i mean you are the kind of guy i want at a party though because it's like look (laughs) i don't have to worry about them because that's the other thing that goes through my head it's like okay the guest list like the people that are there am i gonna have to like come around certain people more often than not because i know they're not gonna dive into the conversation like some other people are right right like you know you don't want to say babysitting but you're kind of like you got you're not too far away from those people. You're always like, okay, I gotta keep a five foot radius around them because I gotta pop back in every now and then and make my rounds with them to make sure they're okay because I want them to have mm-hmm. a good time. But I agree, man. I like this was. I'm not a big party goer anymore either. But this, like, this was. We went till about twelve, and I mean, it was also daylight savings time, so it was like one a.m. Dude, I mean, <laughs> I'm telling you, by eleven o'clock. I was like, I am done. I am tired. Like, I want to go home, sit on my couch, and watch The Office, and then fall asleep. Like, that's what I wanted to do about eleven o'clock. But I was like, man, we're still going hard on this. Mm-hmm. It makes me now. I'm like, okay, I got more parties coming up because more of my friends are going to be turning thirty, which we're going to have more outings, which is great. Like, I want to do that, but like, dude, I mean, the older you get, the more you're like kind of looking at your watch, like, oh boy nine o'clock man it's starting to yeah it's time to start winding down (laughs) well let me tell you man once you add kids into the mix too like some people can turn it on some people can turn it off i don't don't know but my wife and i are the kind of parents where it's where you know we kind of do think about them like oh i wonder how they're doing Mm. maybe just (laughs) check in maybe check in here with the sitter real quick just make sure they're all alive because we know how they are when we're around and uh, we know how to handle it. We don't know if all the sitters are able to handle it. And so, you know, just check in, make sure everyone's alive, everyone's breathing. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, it's on your mind a little bit. And it takes it, I don't want to say it takes away from the fun of the party, because in some ways it makes going out a little better. But in some ways, you're just, you're just not the same, you're not the same two people you were before, uh, where you're just kind of a little bit more like, all right, well, we got to be out of here by nine. Uh, because I'm not paying for any more time of a sitter or what, you know, you got your plan going yeah, on or yeah. whatever. <laughs> so now I got to so, ask you now, yeah. what is like the sweet spot of calling the sitter? Like what's, what's cause you, I mean, you got to call, like if you don't call, I feel like the sitter's like, geez, these people even want these kids. Like you got to call the sitter at some point, but mm-hmm. like, what's too much? Like, is there is, is there a range of like okay people are you even out or are you just sitting out in the car calling me like what's the what's the range what's the sweet spot of how many calls you give a sitter when you're out I uh, I think what you want to do is you just um you just what you want to do is you want to check in 
as soon as you get to your destination, you just want to check in, just say, hey, we got we got to the party, just checking in, making sure you got everything you need and just checking in, making sure, you know, that that she she or he will have just mm-hmm. all the resources available at their disposal for however long they're going to need to be there. Now, okay. we had a really awesome sitter who watched our kids a, a few times when my parents weren't able to. For the most part, my mom watches our kids, but uh, we had this awesome girl from our church who was able to watch the the kids a couple times, and I'm pretty sure Ezra had like a giant crush on her. So, uh, nice. so it was always, so it was always pretty good because he was always excited about her coming over. Um, but the the thing we would do is we kind of say when we got where we were, just double check. Hey, you, you got everything. And then we would check in around the time that the kids were supposed to go to bed okay. to to reinforce to the babysitter that it's totally okay to make the kids go to bed and we kind of want you to right yeah, like yeah. that's kind of that's that's kind of kind of the deal yeah i know um, i understand that kind of phone call <laughs> the the little reminder and, and you could do this all through text and it's just kind of that reminder like hey you know get them in bed have yourself a good time you know enjoy the last the last little bit the, the oh. final stretch put something on the tv you like you don't have to be with them all the time. We just want you to be there. Yeah. And yeah. so so that's a good time to check in. And then I if you told them, if you told them you were gonna be home at a certain hour, um, I would say just do a quick check in when you're on your way home. Be like, Hey, we're twenty minutes out or whatever, however long it's gonna take you. Okay. And then try and try and be back on time. Otherwise, if you're it like you said, if you're texting the sitter the whole time, you're taken away from your own enjoyment. And right, the first couple right. of times we, we did a sitter, my wife was like all over the phone and I'm like, Hey, are we going to hang out or, yeah. or is this, or, or are you going to hang out with your phone? Cause I, I would much rather just hang out with you at home if you're actually going to talk to me. Right. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, uh, for the most part, now that our kids are a little older, they know, they know how to behave around a sitter. Right. When they were yeah. all, a little younger it was a little tougher but now that my oldest is six and my middle child's five they kind of they know the deal right and mm-hmm. they know all of the things that they're going to get in trouble with if they don't follow the arrangement so so we got a good little arrangement there so it works and that's kind of the approach wow but, yeah. all right hey i'm gonna take that to heart because who knows someday i mean i'm gonna need it so that's that's great there man. you go <laughs> good stuff hey. All right, dude. Hey, do you want to, at this point, do you want to get into our main topic or do you want to do our audience question or do you want to do that at the end? What do you want to do? How do you want to go about um, this? Let's give the people what they came for. We'll hit this question at the end because we did get a question from one of our listeners, but you guys are here for the top 10 comedies and you guys are like top 35 minutes in. Where's the comedy? <laughs> Where's the comedy? I mean, like, <laughs> it's been the whole time. <laughs> exactly. This is where this is where you're at. It's the back and forth banter. One of these days, I think we're gonna have to put an incentive out there to uh, release the release the Kraken, as it is called, the very first podcast we ever recorded on a solo microphone oh, in my gosh. in my basement, basically becoming full narcissistic individuals. Comedy gold, man. Talking ourselves up and creating comedy genius and gold. Uh, I think I have an old computer I might be able to track that down on Dude, if great. I can't. 
if I can, we will have to do something to incentivize people to check out this podcast and then we can release mm, the deep track. <sighs> wow, that'd be 13 years old at this point, man. Isn't that crazy to think about? <sighs> man. 13 years? Holy man. cow. Podcasting before it was a thing. That's what we were 12 doing. 12 years. I know, man. We I, I remember you even like we recorded this what we were calling like a radio show. Yeah. And you broke down to me and you told me what podcasting was at that moment in time. You were way ahead of it. Dude, we were ahead of the times. <laughs> and then uh did nothing with it. <laughs> did nothing with just it. Understood it. Did nothing with it. I think notoriously our friendship and especially our creative endeavors have been characterized by Kind of being forward thinking, but really slow in execution. <laughs> <Yeah>. Just <laughs> by the time we get around to it, it's like this is cliche. <laughs> our our brains are super quick thinking, and our and our bodies are sloth. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Got to think of a good analogy there. <laughs> good, good tagline for the duo here. Yeah. Right. Uh, all right, man. So we're doing the top ten comedies. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. For me, I kind of spanned, tried to go into both visual and written mediums. Mm-hmm. I found it a lot easier to come up with uh, with movies and television shows rather than books. And as I was like going through what are considered to be some of the top humorous books of all time, I'm not going to call any out by name, but like this list is pathetic. A lot of these lists are pathetic of what people think is great <laughs> humorous writing. And... Uh, Here's me typing up humorous fiction in my spare time, just ready to get roasted by anyone who hears this <laughs> right, take. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah. You just set yourself up, man. It's okay. It's okay. If my work is trash, I'm willing to admit, like, okay, I need to improve. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to call your work trash. You, you better, you better believe I'll fight. I'll fight blow with blow. Um, but... <laughs> but here's oh, the thing. Gosh. I wanted, I wanted to say because I know we're episode thirty. Like people are expecting, hey, where's the genre crush? And I like I wanted to do comedy because I mean we just kind of came off a horror month, like October. Mm-hmm. And I didn't mm-hmm. I don't want to do that because we kind of touched on a lot of horror stuff. So I wanted to to break it up with a little comedy. But as I started researching comedy, like comedy is one of the oldest, if you want to even call it genre, of just storytelling. I mean, one of the oldest ones. And there's a massive range of what is considered comedy like Mm -hmm. back in the day like we're talking like greek comedies they it wasn't so much funny as it just kind of had a happy ending like that was what they kind of considered a comedy yeah versus a tragedy where it's like okay everyone dies at the end that's a tragedy so i wanted i was like okay well i mean comedy is a massive genre to take on and especially because it's always evolving even now like it's it's like we still get good funny films but i feel like comedies move more into the like oratory area of of our society where like comedians are kind of the 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 forefront of of comedy right now and so i decided you know what we're just gonna do our top 10 favorite comedies i think people love lists like this they love comparing what they think is funny versus what other people think is funny i think good conversation comes from lists like this so that was the thought behind doing for episode 30. Instead of a genre crush, we're just going to go top 10 comedies. 
I'm going to start off by saying this was a hard list for me to make, and my list is probably not even a top 10, but 10 just ones I really enjoy. Because when I'm thinking of my favorite comedies, I could I could probably rattle off like 50 different stories that I just think are hilarious, that I love. And so I just came up with 10 that I felt like talking about today. Perfect. So, so, I mean, this could fluctuate with time. This could change with time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as all of my picks, I didn't look at critical scores or Metacritic scores or IMDb scores or any of that stuff. I don't care about scores. I care about how I experienced this story and whether or not I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. And that's how I made my list. So uh, these could be all terribly ranked movies, critically speaking. But at the end of the day, this is my top 10. All right, man. Or, or 10 I like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ten that you like and to have like a good experience with, because that's what we're all about at Parallel Quest. We're still about like the story, but what it meant to us when we first experienced it. All right, man, hit us up with one you'd like to start off with, if at all possible. The one you have ranked first on your list. Can we actually do that one last? Because we both have it on our list. Yes, I was actually so <clears throat> when I wrote this, when I finished it, I think I should be going in reverse order of okay. like. 10 to 1 is my is how I kind of rank these. So I will start okay. with number 10. And so number 10 is the book The Color of Magic by the glorious author that passed away in 2015, I believe, Terry Pratchett. Sir Terry Pratchett, rest in peace. Loved you, man. But The Color of Magic is his first book in his Discworld series. And so Discworld is about, uh, well, dis- the Discworld series is just this satirical take on fantasy, the genre of fantasy. Terry Pratchett was tired of reading these tropey fantasy novels that were coming out pretty much right after Lord of the Rings happened. Everyone then had a fantasy novel or film or anything that just had trolls and elves and basically everything you could think of in fantasy people were just it was getting just saturated with all these tropes and so terry pratchett decided to make fun of that genre and so his first book the color of magic is about this inept wizard named rincewind who comes across this chest of jewels and gold or whatever but the chest is alive and has teeth and can eat people and stuff and so it's him going on this adventure with this chest and this guy that owns the chest because the guy that owns the chest has to deliver it to somebody and so he hires Rincewind who is basically like like a klutz of a wizard like he's a very inept very silly stupid wizard who just so happens to know one of the eight most powerful spells in all of the world. So there's these eight spells that these wizards can learn, and he knows one of them. And so it's it's a hilarious novel because you have this play on this dumb wizard who's kind of always getting himself into trouble, and mm-hmm. he also has the most powerful spell he could ever cast, ever. And so... They go on these crazy adventures and stuff, and it's it's funny because you can tell. I mean, Terry Pratchett is a brilliant like satirist. Like he is great at making fun of both a genre and like a cultural topic at the same time. 
and a lot of his books do this. A lot of his books will make fun of certain tropes in fantasy, but will also make fun of like something that has happened in recent cultural times, or at least when he was writing cultural like happenings. And so you can kind of pick up on that as, as you're reading. You hit on something I think is really important to address when talking about comedy. Comedy is one of those genres that actually I think has, has maybe the longest history, but also possibly the shortest shelf life. And here's what I mean by it. Um, Comedy is very much relevant into understanding the current cultural climate. So you don't necessarily have to have grown up in the same time period to appreciate comedy from a certain era. But I do think you need to understand that era, whether it's through research or studying or having a family member who's from that time period, in order to really appreciate the comedy. Like, I watched... Ace Ventura with my wife a couple months ago. Movie I just think is absolutely hilarious because I watched it as a kid and I just thought Jim Carrey was this genius when it came to just being ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And she watched it and she's like, this movie is just so stupid. (laughs) And objectively speaking, the movie is really stupid. Like the movie's really dumb. Um, But I think you just kind of had to relate to that time period and that's just kind of... That was just so, it was kind of like against the grain, but it was just, it felt so kind of age targeted for like yeah. kids and, and teenagers. And and so nostalgia comes into a lot of the reason why I think it's still funny. But, you know, it's like comedy evolves with the times and changes with the times. Um, yeah. And so, so I think that's another thing we'll kind of throw, uh, I'm throwing out here is that some of what we think is funny doesn't necessarily mean everyone who listens to this podcast will think that it's funny because I think comedy is one of the most subjective things when it comes to storytelling because there are things that are even considered comedy that isn't trying to necessarily go over the punchline but rather go over a narrative of mm-hmm. just overall it's a funny narrative. Um, yeah. Might not make you might not make you laugh as much while you're reading it or watching it but the overall concept once you discuss it and think about it you're like oh yeah that is pretty hilarious. Yeah. Um yeah, and I think that's, I mean, in in the color of magic, just to kind of finish up here is, like, I think you what you said is is very pertinent to that story because yeah, there's moments where I kind of chuckled while reading, but more often than not, it's just the ridiculousness of a situation. Yeah, that when you're done reading it, you're like, wow, that was actually pretty funny, and that's that's my number ten, the color of magic. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's a very good introduction to Terry Pratchett. Well, right. I'm, actually, years, man. I'm actually going to have to check that one out. I've never read it. I've heard of it. Um, I think it's, as, it's, yeah, I think you would really like it because you're very into fantasy, especially like the mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings-esque fantasy. So I think you would really like the the tropes that he makes fun of. Nice. So the first one I'm going to name here is Anchorman, the <laughs> legend of Ron Burgundy. The one of the most quotable movies I think I've <laughs> yes. ever watched and probably the most quoted movie that I've ever quoted because this is a movie saw it right as I was going into 8th grade, so I was like the perfect target audience for this film. Coming into this movie wasn't a huge Will Ferrell fan. Still to this day, not a huge Will Ferrell fan. We talked about this on our last 
on one of our last podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the thing about Anchorman, though, is the ensemble cast in this movie just is so good. Everyone becomes a character. They fully act out that character. And the characters are just so funny because it's so bizarre. It's so out there. The overarching story is it doesn't even matter, mm-hmm. right? It's very yeah. basic. It's very simple. Guys are you know anchor are are part of a news team. They want to diversify the newsroom, so they bring in a female anchor. Causes problems, and it just it's a funny story that ends up with <laughs> people in a bear cage at the at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the movie, and it's just it's really funny, man. And I think that Anchorman's one of those things where you either love it or you don't get it right. Or mm-hmm. you could say love it or hate it. But I think if you hate it, it's probably cause it just doesn't, it just doesn't click with you. Yeah. And I think what was so great about Anchorman was that, you know, there's, there's no way you walk away from that movie and don't at least think that Steve Carell playing Brick Tamlin isn't just a little <laughs> bit hilarious. And, and to be honest, that's the first movie I ever remember seeing Steve Carell in. And I was like, man, this guy's so funny. And then I remember him just playing more and more roles. And I feel like as Steve Carell's career went on, he just got better and better and better. Um, mm. And we'll probably talk about that with one of yours here in a little bit. And uh, so, yeah, Anchorman, it's one that I'm always down to watch. I will never turn down watching this movie. I've had to have seen it probably close to 50 times. Holy cow. That's because, <laughs> like, yeah, like, no joke. I would, we would have sleepovers all the time growing up, and it would not be abnormal to watch this movie every Friday for weeks on end just because we just thought it was that funny. Dude, that is a <laughs> testament, though, to like not only the comedy of it. But like, like just the the timelessness of the jokes because, mm-hmm. like, how, how many movies can you watch where you know the punchline and you still want to watch it because it's funny? Like, I mean, you yeah. still are you know you're gonna laugh at it. You could quote the the actual punchline and you still laugh when you hear it when you watch it. I mean, that's that's really especially for you for. I mean, seen it 50 times, like, that's really impressive. I mean, that might be you know, a little bit exaggerative. Right, but, but still, I mean, even I, the fact that you've seen it even more than 10 times, it's still like, yeah, man, it's, you know the story, you know the jokes. It's it's just one that always lands with me. Uh, I just think it's really funny. It's kind of like, I would say it's kind of like our generation's Dumb and Dumber. Like, my brother's generation had oh. Dumb and Dumber, and we kind of have Anchorman, you know, where it's just that movie got you right when you were a teenager, and it just yeah, just like, yeah this is this is mine. To we'll have to it. do an episode on Dumb and Dumber because I have a very different reaction to Dumb and Dumber that a lot of people have. So I, uh, but with Anchorman, dude, I went and saw I saw that my freshman year of high school, and it was like one of the first comedy movies that I saw that. I actually laughed like watching out loud because I'd seen dumb and dumber. Now it's funny that you mentioned that because I'd seen dumb and dumber and it was hyped up and I was like, oh, this is not as funny as people are making out to be. Whereas Anchorman was hyped up to me and I was like, yep, this is everything you said. <laughs> yes. Anchorman. Great. The legend of Ron Burgundy. All right. I'm going to go on to number nine for me. Number nine is actually a recent 
one on my list. It's probably the most recent one um, because I just started. And I know it's not because it came out recently, but because I just started watching it very late in the game. I watched Community recently and I'm actually I'm not even done with it, which tells you how much I think this show is funny is that it's still on my list, even though I'm not done with Community. But this show and I think a lot of people know it. It was very popular um, when it came out. But it's just about a study group that is at a community college and just comedy ensues with um, this this study group. It has some pretty big name actors or who went on to be big name actors. Um, it has Chevy Chase in it. He's really he's really a good uh, character in it. Um, does not play a, he actually he does kind of play if you can imagine like the old man version of all the characters that he played in all of his previous movies. Like if, if he actually did all those things and just Kate went to like a community college in his elderly years, I figure like that's what Chevy chase would be like. So there you got him, you've got, um, Oh, what's his name? I I know him by his rapper name all the time. Childish Gambino. Um, Donald Glover. That's the other guy. He's in it. Um, but it's it's a great show. I know you've watched it, right, Cody? I've seen some of the episodes. So it used to be on, I think, the same night as The Office, maybe. So I've seen some of the episodes of it, but not a ton. Yeah. And what's what's brilliant about it and what makes it so funny is, yes, the character actually a lot of the characters are you just don't like them like they're kind of dislikable characters but you have you're forced to follow them so over time you kind of grow to uh, not even really like but more just understand and tolerate their negative components of their personalities but what's great about it is the actual the themes behind the episodes because they will take a genre or a trope or a film like a famous film and they'll make fun of it or they'll put their characters in it and kind of tease why they think the the film is a little ridiculous and so that's what i always like doing is watching community and trying to figure out okay what are they making fun of like at one point they make fun of um pulp fiction where they all kind of are pretending to be characters from pulp fiction and the way they talk to each other is very quentin tarantino writing and so they're very good at mimicking really well-known pop culture films and so that's what i really like about community and just generally it's it's a funny show so that takes number number nine on my list nice uh, up next for me is a show. I'm going to go with a show, and I'm going to say How I Met Your Mother. Zach, you ever watch How I Met Your Mother? Oh, boy. I was I was into that show, man, for a while. All right. So this is a show I really enjoyed. And for me, I think a reason why it makes the list, one, is because this is a show that my wife and I actually started and watched all the way through it together, like right after we were married. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this kind of takes me back to my first and second year of marriage because, you know, we were broke and didn't have anything, but we could pay for Netflix. So we started watching like, like TV. And and so, (laughs) so, uh, I've never, I had never really been much of a syndicated 
TV watcher or a serialized TV watcher, other than my experience with Lost, which you can listen to that podcast. But the next one I really jumped into was uh, first catching up on 24 and then also watching How I Met Your Mother. And this show, a lot of people would criticize and say it's just a clone of Friends. And then I will say that, well, Friends doesn't have interesting characters. How I Met Your Mother does. And... (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) No, but seriously, though, seriously, though, Friends doesn't really have much of a character-focused storylines like How I Met Your Mother does. How I Met Your Mother very much is focused on developing these characters from its first episode on. I think Mm -hmm. Friends kind of adapted to do that as television was changing, but television in the 90s was different. Like, it it was just different than it it was in in the mid-2000s. So so I am not a huge fan of Friends, but I like How I Met Your Mother. I think that Neil Patrick Harris just is hilarious in that show, as well as Jason Siegel. This is what really got me really appreciating Jason Siegel, and he's yeah. one of those guys who most of the work he does, I, I think, is really good. Um, it's not on my list, but Forgetting Sarah Marshall is a hilarious movie. Um but but yeah, overall, How I Met Your Mother, just a show that I would recommend watching. I think that the final season of the show was a little disappointing, but uh, just with how the last episode ended. But I mean, I'm going to yeah. give him a break because it was many years of funny stuff. Pretty good writing. Very good writing for mm-hmm. a, a television sitcom. I don't even know. Would you even call it a sitcom? It's more like a serialized comedy, really. I, I, or... I'm trying to think, dude. Did it have know. the laugh track? It did. Yeah, yeah. it did. That doesn't I necessarily make it a sitcom. I know. I know yeah. that doesn't. But I would. I mean, I, to me, it is. I mean, sitcoms to me, like they they have set destinations that they kind of hit up. There's long running jokes. Um, it takes a very long time for characters to develop. Um, I would I would consider, but dude, I mean, not to say that like lowers the quality of how I met your mother. I think that's one of the best serialized comedies I've ever watched on just like public television. Like it just, it just ran all the time. It was, it seemed like it was always on and I always appreciated it being always on because it was a show that even if you were coming into some random episode in a season, you still could follow along and get the jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great yeah, cast, I, I, too. Man. I think it's great. Of course, yeah, definitely. Great cast. All right, number eight for me is one that's close to my heart. Um, it's also one that, as I get older, it's gets funnier. But at the time, I didn't really understand why it was so funny. I just had a really good time watching it. It's Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And this one is touted by critics critics love monty python and the holy grail um i feel like it started a huge cult following even though monty python was a thing before monty python and the holy grail but Mm -hmm. i think it expanded its its cult following um from this point on um i do understand monty python and the holy grail is not for everybody um it is definitely i think one of those movies where you either love it or you hate it. Um, I tried to watch it with Leah. Uh, man, this it was this year, I think. But I tried. I, we started it, and I was laughing. I was cracking up. 
but she just <laughs> she was like what are we gonna how much longer is this and it was like 10 minutes in i'm like well we got about an hour and a half so we'll just shut this puppy <laughs> down now you know you know what monty python kind of feels like it kind of feels like a medieval themed sketch comedy show doesn't it kind of feel like that? I mean, that is a perfect way to describe it because it came from sketch comedy. Like Monty Python's Flying Circus was sketch comedy. And I feel like they just pieced all their bits together. And it was just like, here's the movie. Enjoy. We don't really care if it makes sense or not. <laughs> it really doesn't. Like, what was the title? Like, what the heck is going on? Like, the, that's so, the bits are funny though, man. Like the, uh, the oh, Black, the Black Knight is so funny. I mean, like, even even and what i mean by when i get older i laugh more because there's a scene in it where i think it's uh the main knight i th- i forget his name at the moment but he's trying to question like a peasant who's like they're like playing in mud they're like building these mud mud towers or whatever and the peasant's talking about like socialism and like he's like well i'm i'm oppressed and it's like he's going really into like in-depth socialism versus like <laughs> like capitalism versus communism he's like really talking about these high level ideas and like the knight just wants to know how to get into the castle and like he like grabs him and shakes him at one point he's like tell me where he is man and he's just like i'm oppressed i'm oppressed like <laughs> it just it cracks me up every time <laughs> but like at the, but when i watched it i was with a bunch of my friends from high school in my friend's basement and it was for his birthday and they put it on and I never heard of Monty Python before, but they all were like, this is great. You're going to love it. And I remember watching it. It was like, what the heck are we watching? Like, is this serious? Like I couldn't tell if they were trying to be serious because up until then I didn't know what satire was. And so later on, I understood like, okay, they're making fun of stuff. Like that's, that's the whole point of it. But I didn't get what like being campy and being satirical meant, but it, it still was a great movie to watch when I was that young because I had friends around that understood that stuff or were really into it. And they just, they made it a great experience. So I will always have that memory of sitting on my friend's couch, watching Monty Python, being thoroughly confused the whole time, but laughing because everyone else is laughing along with it. So, and then eventually I understood it and it's, it's gotten a lot better as a movie and it's actually it's it's not quoted often but you always recognize a monty python holy grail quote i will say that like if someone Mm -hmm. says it in the wild you know immediately where that came from like it's not it's not often but you i always whenever i hear a quote from it i'm always like this person's cultured like they get it like they they're they're part of a small group of people (laughs) nice (laughs) Uh, I love me some Monty Python quotes. It's been a while since I've seen it. I might have to boot it up and just oh, get some good laughs in, man. So good, man. Uh, the All right, the next one on my list, I have to give you credit for because this comes straight off of one of your recommendations. Hey, yo. Um, so I have, I, I've always been a fan of people who just have really good comedic writing styles like it's it's kind of hard to find someone who can just entrench you into reading something just because you're waiting for that really over the top punchline mm-hmm. and typically it's not a, like punchline after punchline after punchline with this guy it's more of like what i i refer to him as writing just the comedy of destruction 
right? Like <laughs> somehow or another, this author finds a way to make you laugh at his family and how things always go terribly wrong for them in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the book is called In God We Trust All Others Pay Cash by Gene Shepard. So good. And and so I want to thank Zach for basically having me read this guy's stuff because I knew who Gene Shepard was only by the fact that he was the guy who wrote A Christmas Story, the, mm. the movie, and the short story that's based off of the movie. And so when you kind of told me I should check this guy out as I was planning to do the Haggard Odyssey podcast, it really gave me a lot of inspiration. And I found myself laughing out loud as I was reading In God We Trust. Um, and and something I'll say about this is you kind of would want to have a little bit of an understanding about the Great Depression and the 1960s in order to really appreciate this author because he's writing in the 60s slash 70s about his childhood growing up in the Depression. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, his overarching tone is this glorification of Americana Mm -hmm. in his writing style, but I don't necessarily think that was his actual belief. Um, But he never really spoke too, too openly about his own beliefs, but... Uh, I, I just think he has this ability to kind of catch you into it. his writing. His his use of words is very good. Like he's just so yeah. good with words and sentence structure and getting you to imagine hyperbolic types of situations. Mm-hmm. And so I would highly recommend it for anyone to check out. This is a guy whose name I feel like not enough people know. Um, <laughs> I've listened to a lot of his old radio programming. I've read a lot of his stuff at this point and. For me, I'm like, how did this guy just not live on for a much longer time? And now I do know that um, a lot of people, a lot of big names weren't his greatest fan because he wasn't afraid to make fun of you. Yeah, (laughs) maybe that's why. Hey, so he's uh, he's a guy that I think he's probably the only person that I've read one of his books and have audibly laughed out loud at a punchline or just a situation because he's like you said, he's just so good at like, like pulling out that feeling of like Americana, but like making fun of it. And he's, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant at characterizing people. Like the way he, he like paints a picture of his family and what his old man is like, like everyone has, everyone (laughs) has had some, aspect of his dad like happened to them and like his dad's this hard-nosed blue-collar guy but like we all kind of know someone or some aspect of someone that's like that and so gene shepherd though can take that tiny piece and make it a character and make that character interact in situations that just make that make that character funny because they're just out of their mm-hmm. comfort zone or whatever and so yeah i mean dude gene shepherd great author um great radio show mm-hmm. yeah i was surprised that not too many people know other than a christmas story um but that's like i mean that's just one short story in many of his his books yep. man and i will say in a christmas story everyone is familiar with the leg lamp that story 
written, the actual written account of that story is far superior <laughs> to how it plays out in the movie. Like that is one of my favorite short stories. Yeah. It's just, it's so incredible though, how the whole story goes. <laughs> so I would recommend checking out in God, we trust all others pay cash uh, by the one and only Gene Shepard. Nice man. All right. Going on to my next one. I have a classic here, dude. Um, everybody has seen at least one of these films, I think. And if you haven't, you've probably have heard someone make a joke that's from one of these films. But I couldn't pick just one, so I just said the Austin Powers trilogy. That is a, by far one of the funniest series and movies that I've ever seen. Um, Michael Myers is phenomenal at mm -hmm. his character um just the whole genre of espionage just poking fun at everything that's i mean it's, it's heavily making fun of the james bond films but it makes fun of yeah. a lot more than just that too within them but i grew up watching these i i thought every single one that came out i thought was funnier than the one before and <laughs> Like that's for me, I feel like that's kind of rare with like, especially trilogies, even having one just be better than the next one. Like usually you start off on a good number and then you drop off and then you come back strong. But this one for me was like, that one was funny. Oh my gosh, that was even funnier. And then <laughs> dude, gold member is by far one of the funniest movies I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. Uh, there's so many jokes. My, my friends and I quote gold member a ton there's just there's so much in that film, just the characters that he plays, the fact that he, like Michael Myers plays multiple characters makes it even funnier. Mm -hmm. um, the jokes are just they're they're witty and they're also stupid. Like they're just there's this weird balance that he strikes of like this is silly, this is dumb, especially because like he's making fun of most of the time like '60s culture, which. Like a lot, like our parents grew up in, but I feel like the target audience for the film um, was a blend of like our parents and then like a younger generation because it was like slapstick comedy at some times. Yeah. And so, like for me, well, growing up, I knew nothing about the 60s. I just kind of knew it from what like the Austin Powers movies were making fun of, but mm -hmm. it was still funny to watch him interact in those, even, even though I'd never even seen a James Bond film up at that point like i i still thought they were funny even though because i kind of knew about james bond and stuff but i still thought they were funny which i think kind of says something another aspect of comedy is if it can if it can transcend its own genre where it can still make you laugh even though you don't know have all the pieces to the puzzle even though you don't understand everything it's making fun of if it can still tell jokes and make you laugh beyond that, I think that's great writing. And those are great jokes. Um, so yeah. awesome powers, especially gold member. If you watch any of them, if you've, if our listeners, if one of you have not even seen it, any of them, like I would say, start with gold member, even though it's the last one in the trilogy, <laughs> it is the funniest one by far, <laughs> but the, the other ones are great too. Yeah, they're all good. And and I I like James Bond quite a bit. And as someone who really enjoys James Bond, I think that, <laughs> that 
Austin Powers is just so funny. It's it's so funny. I I think you're spot on there. Great yeah. trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So for me, we're going to do a cross genre movie because I think that this is the best action comedy I have ever seen, Mm. mainly because it flipped expectations of a particular film and because there was one character in there who was just always delivering fantastic lines whose name I actually can't even remember. I just remember he was in the shape of a, a rock. And he was like a talking rock man. Oh, yeah. Don't remember his name, but he's fantastic. In the movie that I am talking about is Thor Ragnarok. Mm. And so I'm going to start off by saying when I came into Ragnarok, I really didn't know that it was an action comedy. I thought that this was just going to be like Thor 3, right? So I'd kind of come to expect a certain way in which Marvel movies were to be made. And I would say that for the most part, Thor Ragnarok follows the formula of Marvel movies. And one of my favorite Marvel movies is actually Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was like, wow, this is a fantastic movie. Uh, Just it really blew my expectations out of the water. Didn't really expect much of it. And I was like, oh, this whole action comedy thing that Marvel has going on, I, I think is a really fun way to do a movie. I don't think I'd want every movie to be that way, but it's a fun way to do a movie. And then Ragnarok comes out and just just blows expectations (laughs) out of the water for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is the direction that this series needed to go because most of the movies were starting to get really heavy with the Avengers stuff going on and with the Captain America stuff going on and the Iron Man stuff. It's starting to get really heavy, really serious. So to have this action comedy, like buddy cop type of adventure, but with Thor and Loki was just... (laughs) just so great so great and i I, i'm gonna have to look it up here really quick the name of the character who's voiced by the director yeah taika watiti himself um i can remember who the voice actor was but i can't remember his name in the movie um and i'm sorry it wasn't it wasn't a buddy cop movie between thor and loki i meant to say thor and hulk um yes I, i don't know how i slipped up on that one but uh the the name of the character was, let's see if I can find him here real quick. Korg. Korg was his name. <laughs> and uh, and one of the best lines in the movie was when he's about to go into the Coliseum. And he's <laughs> like, you know, has, any, has anyone ever fought in, in one of the Coliseum? And he was like, yeah, Glenn tried to, to fight in the Coliseum. <laughs> Glenn. Where's Glenn? Glenn's over there. He's not moving. Oh yeah, Glenn's dead. <laughs> it's just like the way he delivers that. <laughs> such good execution on the on the lines. Um, so Thor Ragnarok is on my list because I think, in my opinion, it is mm-hmm. the best action comedy. Although one just came to my mind called Rush Hour, which is also a fantastic action comedy. Yeah, um, but anyway, oh man, dude! Ragnarok so I'm glad you I'm glad you brought him up because uh, the guy that voices him the core guy he is the director or co-director and starred in one of my favorite horror comedies called what we do in the shadows have you ever seen that or heard of that i have not oh it's a mockumentary about like these vampires that live in this house together but they range and it's it's great because it's kind of each vampire is a 
a caricature of a vampire from some point in history. So you kind of have like the Nosferatu looking vampire, but then you have kind of the Vlad the Impaler looking one. And so they're all, they all, these vampires live in this house together. And it's like a, this documentary team going in and filming what their life is like being a vampire. And it's kind of like this fraternity house and they all kind of hang out together. And it's, <laughs> it's one of the funniest <laughs> horror comedies I've ever seen. And he's one of the, He's like this real, like tame, quiet, uh, like uh, vampire. And so you should definitely <laughs> check it out because it's 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 okay. not scary at all. It's just it's making okay. fun. It's making fun of vampire movies, and it's it's a great one. But yeah, he's he's a hilarious guy, man. Yeah, he is funny. I've also really wanted to see his movie. I haven't got a chance to see a Jojo Rabbit. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure if you heard about that movie, but that looked pretty funny. Yeah, I've heard of, oh, I've heard a lot about that one. I would definitely like to see that. All right, man. So I'm going to go on to my next one here, and this one I feel like I would make an argument that this is probably top top 10 all-time comedies. I think everyone has seen this. Everyone knows quotes from it. Um we're going with Wedding Crashers. Um it's a movie that Many of my fraternity <laughs> brothers have seen and just love to quote. It's and, and at the end of the day, what makes this movie so good is because it actually has a good theme that it deals with. And it is mm-hmm. talking about and dealing with and wrestling the idea of marriage and love, but in a way that's not sappy or tropey or cliche. It's, really getting down to like what like constitutes as like a marriage and being together and something that you can build to last. And so if you haven't seen this film, I am shocked because this movie is played by, I mean, I mean, I feel like every sleepover I ever went to, we watched wedding crashers at some point. Um, it's just about two brothers, not that, not brothers they're two friends, sorry, two friends who, go love weddings. Um, they usually go to weddings in order to find women there. Um, but they soon get tied up with a family where one of the brothers played by Owen Wilson starts to actually fall for one of the girls that he meets. And so he wants to build more of a relationship with her. But the problem is he and his friend, his friend is played by Vince Vaughn usually lie to get into these weddings. And so they have to come up with these characters and adopt these histories and these backgrounds in order to, and it's like they're undercover cops. Basically they got (laughs) to like go into these weddings like covertly in order to do it. It's so funny because like they'll go to any wedding, man. They'll go to like Jewish weddings. They'll go to like Chinese wedding. They'll go to any wedding and pretend and like make up this backstory as to why they need to be there or like why they are there. And so that's part of the humor is like the girl that Owen Wilson falls for has to kind of deal with the fact that Owen Wilson has been lying to her about who he is, but not really lying to her because he's basically being him around her. But he also has to keep this persona of like, well, I'm actually playing this character. So and then they go to this island with this family and like it, it, comedy gold once they go to the island, man, the <laughs> family's insane and <laughs> they get tied up into the craziest people. 
But I, I mean, you know it's going to be good when you got Christopher Walken playing the patriarch. I mean, come on now. It's, just, it's set up to be fantastic from that point forward. Phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got a great ending. It's got a guest appearance by Will Ferrell that I, I didn't see coming at all. I don't think anyone did the first no. time they watched this movie. And when he appears, you're just like, oh, my gosh. And then he's like great in the movie. Mom, the meatloaf. Like, I think that quote has been said. No less. I've been going to funeral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dude it's just so wrong it's just next level and so, so wedding crashers i think is in my i mean it's definitely in my top 10 here but if i had to narrow this down to just five i mean it would be top five for me i mean yeah. i know i'm kind of doing this in reverse order here and it's number six on here but it should definitely be in my top five but wedding crashers great 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 movie saw wedding crashers for the first time with my dad we had gone over to my sister's house to visit her and she had rented the movie and she was like yeah this is a pretty funny movie so me my dad my sister all watched wedding crashers together we were all dying laughing oh that's awesome so it's a pretty classic memory there of wedding crashers hilarious movie All right, here we go. We are on to number fives. And so our number fives are kind of uh, a little bit of a tandem here. Yeah. And so I have here The Princess Bride, the film. Uh, For those of you who didn't know, it's also a book. Uh, But The Princess Bride, I think, is one of those movies that the the laughs are just – they're. They're pure and they're fun. And this is a good family comedy. Like this is a movie I have no problem sitting down and letting my kids watch while my wife and I enjoy it as well. And, you know, there's some stuff that maybe you could say is a little bit of adult content, but it's mostly over their head. And it's just, it's overall, it's a fun, charming, classic story. And it's funny. There's just a lot of good, memorable lines in there, all of which those of you who are listening are probably starting to rattle off in your head. <laughs> but the the best line in the movie, not quoted nearly enough. I'm sure a lot of people know this line, but this line is not quoted nearly enough. When uh, the one guy, the smart, the brains of the bunch, is trying to talk about how smart he is, and he's talking to Wesley, and he's like, you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, morons? <laughs> and, that's just, morons. <laughs> and that's just how he introduces himself and how smart he is. <laughs> Some of the greatest philosophers ever to live. He's called him morons. Morons. <laughs> and everyone loves the marriage line right everyone does that in the inigo montoya no that line right there is one of the greatest lines in the film i love it every time i hear it i'm like oh so funny so good (laughs) (laughs) but that's my number five so hey zach what's your number five so my number five is the princess bride the book and it's a lot very similar i'll say it follows the storyline of the the movie to a t the actual storyline the thing that is different though and this is what i really liked about the book and thought was really funny about the book is that the novel plays with this narrative technique where goldman is actually so the the book was written by a guy named william goldman and Goldman inserts himself into his own novel and he 
is this character in his novel who has written a bunch of footnotes about this um, adaptation of this guy named like Morgan Stern and Morgan Stern wrote the princess bride, but Goldman remembers the princess bride as this very straightforward, like action adventure story. But what he comes to realize when he's trying to share this book with like his son. So it's kind of similar to the movie where the grandpa's reading this book to like the sick kid. But as he starts reading to like this to his son, he realizes that it's not anything like he remembers. And it's actually just like a satire of like politics during this random time. And like, it's just this really boring text. And so he starts to like spruce it up and take out parts and insert parts and trying to make it more interesting. And I think that's some of the funniest parts of the book because he's trying to abridge it. But there's times where in the book you'll see his footnote and he'll be like, he'll go on this long talk about this is like what it's actually in the book is this talk about this guy who um, really wanted to throw a party for like this queen. And like, he'll go into the whole politics of the thing. And he's like, this is the actual book, but then this is what I said happened. And it's completely different what the book said. So I, I enjoyed the fact that he inserted himself into the book, but then also, manipulated the book that you're reading so it was this really interesting read of like well i'm reading the princess bride which is by this other author but it's goldman's rendition of it even though it's goldman's book so it's this cool like multi-level narrative technique and so i thought it but it makes for some like comedic moments of like goldman trying to manipulate the story to make it more interesting than it really is Yeah. yeah yeah Good stuff, awesome. man. Yeah, so I, I recommend the book. Um, it's not a long read at all. It's a pretty quick read. Um, and it, I mean, it's fun to read because it follows the movie so closely. So like as you're reading it, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember this scene. Oh, yeah, I remember that. So it was like the book was made for film. So yeah, it's a, it's a good one, man. Um, all right. All right. So I am on to number, what am I, four. Number four here, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Did you ever read this one? I have not. Did you ever see the movie? I have not. Okay. Well, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, If you ever type in top 10 or top 100 comedy books or novels, this one is always number one. And for good reason. It's a very witty book. Um, it is an exploration of many things, um, religion. It's an exploration of what it means to be human, um, kind of humanity's place in the universe. And then also just what life is supposed to be and the meaning of life, um, which is the number 42, according to the book. But the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy all starts with this guy, I believe his name's Arthur Dent, maybe I, I know his name's Arthur um but basically he learns from his friend who he finds out is an alien that this galactic council is uh is building a freeway and earth is kind of right in line with where they want to build the freeway so they have to blow up earth in order to make way for this highway of alien traffic and so in order in order to get off earth he has to hitchhike onto these passing uh 
these passing spaceships. And so Arthur and his friend, oh, I forget his name, they hitchhike aboard a ship. And from there, they go on this grand adventure to try and find a new Earth. And um, along the way, they get these cast of characters that are all ridiculous. But what's so great about the book and just kind of the humor of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is just this dry humor that it takes on. It's just, I mean, I think the opening line was, it's like, um, like in the beginning, like the Earth was created or the galaxy was created or the Earth was created. Um scientists have agreed this is generally a bad move or something like that like just very dry (laughs) very to the point and that's what makes it so funny it's just all these jokes just build and build and build and um arthur the main character is very much like us like he's not this cynic i mean he is cynical at times but he's not this like like ultra smart very well-traveled guy i guess you want to say like he's not this um he's not like humor humorous at all he's just like us like i i'm along for the ride and i just want to survive and i generally think it's a bad idea that like earth is getting destroyed but you know i'm gonna get out of here and go on this adventure and i enjoyed the book the book it's actually a series so hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is just the first book in the series um and I highly recommend it. It's definitely one of the funniest, probably the funniest book I have actually ever read. So, okay. Yeah. All right. I, yeah, this is on my list of what I've got to get into somehow or another. I'm, I'm one behind you here in our listing. Um, Mm. so why don't you do two? My my next one up on my list is silver linings playbook. You ever seen this movie, Zach? I did. All right. So, so you think this one's, Okay, I'm interested. I'm gonna sit back. I want to hear. So, so this is this is up on my list because I think that this is one of the best romantic comedies ever made. Right. So that's Mm. I guess that's a little bit of an asterisk. Um, one of the reasons why I think it's one of the best romantic comedies ever is one. I think Bradley Cooper does a fantastic job in this movie. Uh, I I really respect Bradley Cooper as an actor. I think he really does a good job. Uh, in a lot of different roles, in particular when he's doing something that can make you laugh. And his character, I think, is just really funny um, because there's a lot of people who I know who are kind of like him, uh, but it's just kind of funny that he had to be put in a psych ward. And so, so anyway, it's about this guy who's basically down on his luck, kind of snapped after catching his wife having an affair, And he's just trying to get his life back together, ends up kind of falling into connection with the local widow who has a reputation of maybe being a little bit easy. And so they kind of have a deal to where she will, you know, kind of make it so that he can interact with his now ex-wife. So... Uh, the arrangement is he's got to work out and practice with her to be part of a dance competition. Mm-hmm. Now, because it falls under the genre of romantic comedy, you expect that everything is going to go the way that the characters want it to go. Now, you know from the very beginning that Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper are going to end up together. And what you do is you see through, and this is going to contain spoilers because the only reason I can explain this being uh, a, a top romantic comedy is if, if I explain the actual punchline of the film. Mm-hmm. And so 
you kind of see them practicing their dancing and you're getting ready for the big scene and the big reveal of them doing their dance where they're going to be at this competition. And because you are so ingrained to think that in a romantic comedy, everything just goes well for the two in love. Of course, they have their obligatory falling out and all that nonsense that goes in every romantic comedy. They put on what is arguably one of the worst dance routines (laughs) in a Hollywood made film. And as soon as I saw this playing out, I was like, you know what? This is a work of comedy genius, right? Like this is this is more like how life would play out for these people, right? Like there is no way two randoms who have no dancing experience would ever actually be able to compete in this high-level dance competition. They're terrible, and it ends up going what they try and do this big lift move, and she's basically got like her crotch in his face, and it's just <laughs> it's like really funny. And so to me, I'm like, this is a romantic comedy I can get behind. If more were like this, I could get behind this genre. Unfortunately, most of them are pretty predictable. I actually like romantic comedies. I like to play the romantic comedy game where, you know, you gamble and you kind of bet on the odds of how it's all going to play out. And, you know, you cash out at the end. It's kind of fun to do. You should try it sometime. Hmm. Um, but, right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I put it on the list mainly because I want a little bit of variety and genres. Like I, I had a lot of similarities of what I would consider to be top 10 comedies to what was already on your list. So I wanted to try and put something out there that could show some romantic comedy, some love, as well as, you know, give uh, give Bradley Cooper some love for what I thought was a really good performance by him. Nice, so, man. Yeah. I would never have thought of it as a as a comedy, at least I it had some funny moments, but I would have interesting. interesting. Yeah. But hey, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the Silver Linings playbook a lot. So I will now All be right. seeing it in a new light, though. The next time there I you watch go, it. there you go. Now I'll do another one on my list. This is gonna be a fast hitter right here because <laughs> uh, there is just no. Okay, so the movie is <laughs> Team America: World Police, and I can't oh, think. I can't think of a movie that starts off more hard-hitting with telling you the type of movie it's going to be than Team America World Police. (laughs) The minute that those opening credits go and you hear that opening song, you you are either like, what did I get myself into? Or you're like, oh my gosh, the guys who make South Park are about to strike a gold mine. And I fall into the latter uh, form of opinion because I think that while I appreciate South Park and its writing and what it's offered to satire, it's just like for oh, me to follow dude. that show all the time. There's so much. There's so much in the show. Like I, I, I'll catch the highlights. I'll catch what's going on from time to time. But you know, I'm not gonna subscribe to Comedy Central just so I can watch South Park. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But anyway, Team America, though, I think that the overarching narrative. I think that they're unashamed stabs at Hollywood is just hilarious, phenomenal. Um, And, and, you know, overall, it's it's a really, really well-made film with marionettes. Like, that's something I think that kind of gets underappreciated. Like, yeah, it's this goofy, silly movie. But, (laughs) like, the actual filmmaking technique that went into that isn't, like, this really easy thing to do, you know? Like, making a, a marionette film looking as good as it did the weird love scene they have in there is really <laughs> off-putting. But, dude, the movie is just so funny. It's so politically incorrect. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, I'm t- that that movie doesn't get made today. It, no. Well, maybe it does because it's Trey Parker and Matt Stone. They can kind of do whatever they want. But oh, but dude, I, know, I mean, man. it is a film that. So there's that line in comedy where, if you're gonna if you're gonna push the ridiculousness, if you're gonna push the assert like absurdity of humor, you you can't hold back. Like you can't try and push it and go, well, I don't want to offend too many people. So let's stop here. You got, you have to go full send with the absurdity and team America world police. What a hundred percent does like just, they don't even, they know holding back. They don't even care. They're going, <laughs> we're going for it all when we do this and we're going to make it the most ridiculous, sometimes disgusting, but like hilarious at the end of the day movie and it's just like the Matt Damon impersonation (laughs) so funny it's Alec Baldwin the greatest actor in the world (laughs) just everything like they really just twist the knife and it's so funny man it's so funny I'm gonna ask you a question you've studied film on a on an academic level is this a movie Mm -hmm. that gets talked about in film study at all when talking no, about we did not. No, we did not talk about <laughs> Team America World Police, even though I think it should be talked about for just the jokes and the like anti-establishment type of like themes it went with. But no, this does not get talked about. Like this is this is a bit much for the the film critics, I think. But it's so funny how the movie is very openly anti-war, but also openly just bashing at Hollywood who thinks that they know everything about the oh, average yeah. person and they're the saviors of the world. It's just like this is so spot on. This is this is <laughs> everything that's wrong with America. They did it. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations uh Trey Parker, Matt Stone. You guys did it. You encompassed what is wrong with America in a film starring <laughs> puppets. Yes, That's incredible. <laughs> we applaud you. <laughs> Way to go. Uh, That's all. Awesome. Go ahead, man. You're up. All right. We're going to go with number three on my list. And this one is, ah, oh, man. I mean, what hasn't been said about The Office, dude? It is one of my favorite shows to watch. It's a show that I will watch to the very end, get super sad, like, want more. And then immediately started all over again. It's a show that I can't say enough about. I mean, I I quote this show probably more than literally anything on my list here. I probably quote this show. Um, there's the character, the development of the characters over long periods of time. It's a show that I always say it's super funny, has great comedic timing, but also has a heart. And I think that is what sets it apart from shows like Parks and Rec or Community or some of these other um, shows that have similar styles, as I think The Office has the biggest heart. Like You really start to care for a wide range of cast members. Like It's not a few people in the office like they have an entire literally an entire office of people and all the characters have distinct personalities that when they're on screen when they have a line it adds to their character and they're funny on top of it like all of the characters are funny in their own way and i think that's why the office to me is probably the best tv show i've ever seen just it deals with real life issues at times um like 
I mean, I just, there's not much I could say other than just, I love it, but it deals with issues like marriage and problems with marriage, like problems while you're in a marriage and working that out. And then it deals with relationship. That's a big theme of the office is relationships. And what I love about it is it's not taking the Hollywood approach of, Hey, every relationship you get into that feels right is the right thing for you. Um, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of failed relationships in the office. Um, and one of the ones that I really enjoy the most, I think, is the one between Andy Bernard and, um, oh my gosh, now I'm blanking on her name, the receptionist. Aaron. Um, Aaron, thank you. I just watched the episode with him. But like they have this very similar relationship to Pam and Jim where they kind of start slow and they're flirting, but then, like spoilers, they, it, it doesn't work out for them. Even though you're like, oh, they should be together. Like they're very perfect for each other. And it doesn't work out because that's how life is. It doesn't always work out. And I think the office thrives in that world of this is ridiculous. And we do some things that are kind of absurd, but we also keep it grounded in real life, in the daily lives of just normal nine to five office people. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's one of the, it's the best show I've ever seen on television and one that I continue to watch to this day. I, I agree with you on a, on a lot of stuff there. It's definitely for me probably my favorite comedy on television. I didn't put it on my list because I saw it was on your list, and I mean, I think it just you know yeah. what's interesting to me. I'm finding a lot of people who really don't like The Office, and you know that that this Twitter Twitterverse coming out, and like mm. there's people who like openly talk about it being overrated and this and that, and I'm like, I just I don't know I. I understand it's a subjective medium, but man, the office is, it's really good. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it just doesn't land for a lot of people for some reason or another, but recently on my latest watch through of the office, I've been trying to watch the, the show through the perspective of Dwight Schrute solely. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun because, because Dwight, I think is probably, um, probably just all around the the funniest character like all the funniest stuff just kind of revolves around Dwight in the show yeah um and sometimes he's he's the the subject sometimes he's the person uh getting the joke done to him you know and sometimes he's the one doing the joke but but I just I love I love Dwight in the show I think I kind of underappreciated him the first time watching through because you know it's all about Michael and Pam mm-hmm. and and Jim and all of that uh because yeah. they're kind of you know the three stars of the show but really I mean Dwight is definitely like the fulcrum of the office we'll just say that like he he is the the where the balance is is on that show because if Dwight wasn't in there, oh man, the show wouldn't be nearly as funny. Oh no, oh. absolutely not. <clears throat> but anyway, Office, yeah. great show. Office, yeah. All right, my number three here is actually really, really old work. I don't know if you'll remember this one, Zach, but a modest proposal by none other than Jonathan Swift himself. Um, this is actually political satire. Reason I have it on here as comedy is because this is a long time ago. In the AP English class we've referred to many, many times um, of many years ago, this work illuminated to me how Mm. you can be funny and critical at the same time. And part of this Mm. has to do with a developing brain, 
but also just really kind of going through class and having our teacher break down what this work was really opposing. And basically what it is, is it's this, uh, it's, it's a satirical pamphlet written by Jonathan Swift. It's called a modest proposal where he's telling people in England, the way in which they can control their population is by eating their children. And so, (laughs) so basically instead of, you know, having any type of infanticide or anything like that or having full orphanages, he just suggests to start, you know, getting the babies nice and fed, nice and plump, cooking them up. He even has a list of different like recipes you could make. And it really what he what he's doing is he's pointing out the ridiculous nature of wanting to control the population versus wanting to help the poor, the hungry, the needy, right? Like, mm-hmm. like that was kind of the, the what he was arguing against. Like, you want to work on population decreasing when really the problem is you need to find better ways to give you know people a better standard of living, which yeah. you know is is highly respectable. But the whole thing. You might read it and you might not think it's funny if you think this is a guy making a serious proposal. But when you know it's satire, it's like, oh, man, this is hilarious. Like, this is so ridiculous. And it's a, see, that's also the fine line that comedy has to draw sometimes. Sometimes in order to be as funny as you can be, you can't tell anybody you're telling a joke. Like yeah. maybe maybe a couple people can be in on it. But you need to allow people to discover it, which is why satire in our modern day society is virtually dead because you have to label your work as satire. And uh, it's not nearly as fun when you have to put the satire rating on something. It's really hilarious when I see people reposting satirical articles thinking that they're real on Facebook. I get a kick out of that every single time. Mm. So if you've ever done that, uh, just, you know, let us know. I've done it before. I've been guilty of like, oh man, this is this one got me. So God, I didn't know this was a satire site. Uh, <laughs> but. That's the thing that like, yeah, it's awful that we have to label things like that because it's almost it's almost like trolling in a way where it's like it's funny if you know that's what they're doing, but if you don't know, that's the purpose of the comment or the pamphlet or whatever like it's not funny for you because it's like oh i got tricked but if you're in on it like i mean like the onion or what's that one i always see on facebook like the b the babylon b or something like that yeah babylon b that that those are funny man sometimes <laughs> they get me because i don't realize that's what it's like i don't see the little babylon b right away and i'm always like what the uh-huh. heck and i go oh okay never mind <laughs> okay <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, dude, I agree. I mean, and Jonathan Swift was like a big inspiration for you and me when we were going mm-hmm. through high school, um, especially with some of our earlier works that we came out with. We loved the satire. <laughs> we loved being ridiculous and poking fun at dating culture or humor. <laughs> like we loved, we loved that because it's like, okay, we can be ridiculous and still make a point. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> yeah good stuff man Uh, all right i'm gonna bring it into number two here and these next two for me are gonna go in this order because hot rod which is my number two what i'm gonna talk about right now is probably i've laughed out loud more watching this movie than i think any other movie um hot rod is so funny 
but I don't think it's the funniest movie I've ever seen, but I definitely have laughed the most. And I, the jokes are so fun. I think it's the also the only Andy Samberg film that I actually like that he's in like anything that he's in, even the Saturday night live skits and stuff. I don't generally think he's that funny, but for some reason him as Rod Kimball is like, he's, he was made for that role. And, and the supporting so hot, cast in Hot Rod is The supporting is cast is ridiculous, man. Oh, yeah. You got Danny McBride, like Bill Hader, um, Isla Fisher. You've got great supporting cast. I mean, Danny McBride and Bill Hader alone could carry that film with their <laughs> jokes and stuff. But the <laughs> w- one of my favorite parts of Hot Rod. So Hot Rod, for those who haven't seen it, give it a chance. It's it's stupid. It I'm is dying right now. Just slapstick. Bill Hader with that. What is that knife in his head or whatever? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, that part just kills me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the whole. I mean, the whole thing is like stupid slapsticky, but like has this. I don't even know why. It's just got this charm about it that makes it really funny but not like stupid funny like it is stupid but it's still got like some wit to it and so for those who haven't seen it hot rods about this amateur stunt man named rod kimball which is why it's <laughs> called hot rod who like his he wants to impress his stepfather frank and <laughs> frank just continually mocks and disrespects him all the time and like just thinks he's an idiot and stupid but then one day frank gets ill and gets sick and so rod decides that he needs to raise money for frank's heart operation and the only way he can do this is by executing the biggest stunt of his life and so that's kind of sets him up for this movie uh but dude so one of my favorite jokes absolute favorite jokes comes at the very beginning like literally the one of the first thing which made me like seeing this joke i was like this is gonna be a freaking great movie is at the very beginning when he's getting ready to jump like off that little ramp and he like looks at his friends who are just chilling in these lawn chairs in the front yard and he's like did you guys reinforce the jump and they're like we didn't have time <laughs> she's like okay cool <laughs> and still goes for it and just crash the whole thing falls apart when he <laughs> launches off he goes flying off his bike <laughs> oh i'm laughing now just thinking about it like they're just sitting there in lawn chairs we didn't have time <laughs> and so, but the movie is so fun obviously we're cracking up just thinking about it um but it's just like it's all the characters are funny they're over the top um classic lines in there like i'm rod i like the party <laughs> like his friends are dumb but they're they're also charming at the same time like it's a great movie man great i love hot rod great movie it's it's full of laughs and you gotta go into it in the right mood yeah just anything goes going in the hot rod and it's funny it's enjoyable it's one of those movies too where better to watch with a couple of people and yeah 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 what a good one and one thing i did learn about it which is i think why it is as funny as it is, is because it was written by uh, so Pam Brady was the uh right one of the writers, and that was one of the writers of like South Park, 
like back in the day. Okay. So they had a history of writing for a really highly acclaimed comedy. So I think that really kind of was brought out in. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, Andy Samberg just kills the part, man. He owns he does. Rod. Supposedly Brooklyn Nine-Nine is pretty funny. I haven't checked it out, but uh, I might have to give that a chance here soon. I've yeah. seen a lot of funny clips from it, but I've never actually watched it myself. Okay. All right, here we go. Number two for Cody. This is actually uh, really high on my list, partly because of nostalgia, partly because really anyone can watch this and get a kick out of it. Although in today's world, extremely politically incorrect. This is a family comedy, a Disney family comedy called Heavyweights. Heavyweights stars Ben Stiller, where he recently purchased a... (laughs) a fat camp and wants to turn it into an exercise infomercial destination and basically takes these group of kids who previously would come to fat camp and basically just lounge around sneak candy treats and all the stuff, not really lose any weight, just be in companionship with other overweight kids because they understood each other, which overall the theme of the movie is pretty good. It, it actually is about not judging other people, but there yeah. is a whole lot of fat shaming in the movie. I think if it's not his first, one of his earliest movies written by Judd Apatow, who is like kind mm-hmm. of a big deal in comedy. He's he's yeah. kind of got a, a partnership and relationship uh, professionally with Seth Rogen. So a yeah. lot of a lot of the best stuff you see from like the Seth Rogen, James Franco uh, combination. Mm-hmm. There's a good chance Judd Apatow is either a writer or a producer on one of those films. Cause, yeah. Cause he's a guy who's just really done well in comedy in Hollywood. He's even got a masterclass. Um, but one of his earliest films and to me, this movie is just so funny because I watched it for the first time when I was working at a camp. Not a fat camp. This was a Christian camp. But you could really understand from the perspective of being a counselor, like <laughs> like kind of how these kids would be disruptive and go through all the things they went through. And if there's some psychotic head of the camp like Ben Stiller's character, Tony Perkis, you know, it's, it's just like, wow, this is really the biggest disaster that could happen in a camp situation. Mm. It's really funny. It's it's family friendly to a point. Um you know, I would say maybe kids like eight and up. I've let my kids watch it just because I think it's that funny. But, you know, <laughs> I have to kind of tell them like, hey, guys, you can't say this type of stuff to your friends. You know that, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but the movie, it just it kills me. It might be to some people a really dumb movie, but some of the people in it, you got Ben Stiller. You have Keenan Thompson, a really young Keenan Thompson in there. Basically, it's the cast of the Mighty Ducks um, in in Heavyweights. But oh, I think it's hilarious. I think it's fun. There's a lot of good there's a lot of good humor in there in a pretty good family film. So number two, Heavyweights. All right, man. Yeah, great cast in that. I'll have to check yeah. that movie out. So, all right, number one. Both of our number ones. I figured this would happen, but for good reason. Um, do you want to start us off? We just got it. You can roll. You can roll us off. All right, all right. Number one, top ten comedies, or just a list of top ten comedies <laughs> that came to our mind. <laughs> number one, 
Tropic Thunder. This yes, movie, for sure. Oh boy, where do you even start? Like this movie, not only is the cast phenomenal, like one, like one of the most star-studded casts in a comedy film. I mean, you've got you've got Ben Stiller, you've got <laughs> you've got. Robert Downey Jr., who <laughs> before I gotta say, before I even got on for the cast here, I told Leah what my number one comedy was, and she kind of already knew it was. And she was like, "Are you really gonna talk about that?" I was like, "Yeah, of course." <laughs> like Trump, it's the funniest movie I've ever seen in my life. And she's like, "But the Robert Downey Jr. 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 characters like really controversial." And I was like, "Ah, I mean." The point is, it is controversial even in the movie. Like the the point, like it's very self aware. So like, yeah, him sure. playing yeah. his character is controversial even in the movie, which makes it even yeah. funnier because like you're like, oh, and then everyone in the movie is like, oh, okay, I guess you're doing. Yeah. It's not glorified. Like that's no. one thing that the film doesn't do. The film doesn't glorify Robert Downey Jr.'s character. Um, no, it doesn't. It definitely all, is self-aware all. of what he is, and that's what makes it funny. And so, but I mean, moving on. I mean, the cast is phenomenal. I mean, you've got Jack Black. You've got, I mean, Matthew McConaughey's in it. You've got um, oh, who's the guy that plays the producer? Um, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Like Danny McBride's in it. So I mean, not only is your cast just hilarious and awesome, but the movie itself. And I'm sure we can elaborate more on this is it's a movie about Hollywood. It's a movie that is so self-aware and it's just ripping apart Hollywood and just kind of the ridiculousness of actors and like what they think of themselves and just kind of how a movie even gets made. So that's, I mean, it's the best movie I think of, like what everything you think about when you think of Hollywood of like, man, this is so wrong with them. Like, I can't believe these people think they're like this. Like the movie does that. And it's like, yeah, we we're looking at ourselves now here. So go ahead. Yeah. I, I think that there's just, there's a lot in this movie, the overarching narrative, it's criticism of Hollywood. It's open criticism of Hollywood. And even kind of like it's, it's less obvious criticism of moviegoers. The fact that all, you know, you've got Ben Stiller and Jack Black who are, are basically notorious actors for being in these serialized films that people just go and see over and over and over and over again. And when they try their breakout roles, right, they kind of fall apart. Right. Um, yeah. Where <laughs> the simple Jack. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Come on now, like <laughs> the, the, the whole center where he's kidnapped, and then the people who take him as prisoner love Simple Jack. It's just oh Simple my god! <laughs> uh, and then, <laughs> and I just remember uh, quoting it on our trip to Gen Con too. The uh, <laughs> we are flaming dragon. <laughs> Uh, but it's just like there's the writing in it is really good the execution's really good Mm -hmm. um i mean they've got they've got ned nolte 
as a yeah. supporting <laughs> actor in the movie. It's just there, there's so many people in this movie. This was actually, I think, because I saw this movie before I saw Hot Rod, I think. So this is the first movie I ever saw Danny McBride in. And mm. I just remember thinking to myself, like, oh, man, dude, this guy's hilarious. I don't know. I've never seen this guy before, uh-huh. but he's so funny. Uh, Danny McBride, a guy who I think is kind of uh, another guy who's hilarious, but just it's kind of underappreciated. I think maybe his mm. style of humor doesn't land with everybody, but I think he's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, yeah, the, I think as good. far as Tropic Thunder goes, it's great writing. It's actually really good storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. and I think I've talked about this before on a, on another episode, we were talking about Tropic Thunder, but one of my favorite things in Tropic Thunder is as they are adventuring through the jungle, the character who's trying to be the voice of reason is Robert Downey Jr. Because Mm -hmm. that's the character he played in his script. Like he's so invested into becoming his character that he's actually acting like the captain because he's the captain (laughs) in the movie. But when you think about it, the least reasonable character in the movie is Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) It's just so funny. Um, and like as I was watching it the last time with with Haas back in like February when we took that trip, but I remember just thinking to myself, like, man, I don't know if this was intentional or I'm just picking up on this, but this is genius. Oh, it's so oh my gosh, just everything about it is just so funny. Like just the the characters to the plot to just how ridiculous Tom Cruise's character like he's like that hairy big barrel chested and big armed guy that's just like super alpha like yeah, right. just how you think like soda <laughs> it's like how you would think like a hollywood producer would look like it's like the most characteristic like caricatured hollywood producer that they could think of and he's yeah. just a super alpha guy Oh, I mean, so the first time I ever watched Tropic Thunder was with you at a sleepover. (laughs) Yeah. And I immediately fell in love. I was like, this is the funniest movie I've ever seen. And it has remained the funniest movie I have ever seen. It's just (laughs) the the whole, the commercials that they do, like the fake commercials at the beginning. Oh, yeah, at the beginning? Yeah. Like, it's just so clever. Oh, man. So, yeah, Tropic Thunder is... Go go see it. If you haven't seen it, if you're listening and you have not seen Tropic Thunder, do yourself a favor and go watch the funniest movie of all time, Tropic Thunder. An honorable, I'm going to say quick honorable mention, didn't make my list because I don't know if people consider this a comedy, but it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Burn After Reading. Uh, oh, <laughs> hilarious yes. movie, man. Dark comedy. Yes. Dark man. comedy. Yeah. Coen Brothers. Yeah, it's a uh, Coen Burn Brothers. After Reading is uh is a fantastic one mm. uh, didn't didn't make the list this time but i think we'll we'll probably do another list that burn after reading will appear oh yeah great movie but, man but anyway uh do you have any honorable mentions before we go one one last like plus one mm. no no i think i got no. got the no. 10 that i wanted to get out today All right. i thought of go. some along the way but now i've forgotten about them all righty. Well, we've been casting for quite a while, so we're going to wrap it up here. 
and we will get you guys next time on Parallel Quest. We are just so thankful for all the support that you guys have given us. If you like the podcast, please be sure to share it with a friend. Tell somebody that you know about it so that we can continue to spread the word. And if you aren't subscribed yet on a podcast platform of your choice, please be sure to subscribe so you can get the episodes as soon as they go live. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Parallel Quest. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Parallel Quest. Please be sure to head over to our website, SteelLakeStudio.com. Thank you, Jake Butler, for providing our bumper music. Get on that email list. Link's in the description below. And we'll see you next time on Parallel Quest.